The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Take your Bible in hand and come with me, if you will, to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. I look forward to sharing this passage of Scripture with you this morning. Um, that speaks to today in a very real and strong way. As you're turning to Psalm 95, uh, let me direct your attention to the shoeboxes that you see stacked before you on the Lord's Supper table. Just a reminder that our shoeboxes are due next Sunday. Next Sunday, November 10th, I believe I've heard the figure. We have about 175 shoeboxes that are being uh, filled. We're going to bring those and lay them out here at the uh, the altar area. And as a church family, we're going to pray over them as we then ship them off to be processed and from Charlotte to go literally around the world uh, carrying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through a, a track that children and their parents can understand. And so we'll be meeting physical needs and bringing a smile to the face of children. And we'll be working to fulfill the spiritual need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ across the globe. So don't forget to bring your shoebox, if you haven't already, next Sunday morning. Now I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. You follow along reading silently as I read aloud, beginning Psalm 95 and verse 1. Psalm 95 and verse 1. Oh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. And said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Father, a psalm that begins with such a a warm call to worship, and a psalm that ends with condemnation toward the children of Israel. Father, would you help us to understand this passage today? Help us, Father, to embrace this call to worship so that, Father, we do not find ourselves as the children of Israel later in the psalm who are being chastised by you for their lack of celebration and their lack of submission. And so, Father, help us to worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're being seated, I would invite you to come back with me to the year 1982. 
I've graduated from the University of Florida. Charlene and I have been married in the month of June, and we've traveled to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to begin our seminary studies. I was taking preaching that first semester. My preaching professor was a gentleman named Dr. Harold Bryson. Dr. Bryson's preaching course was scheduled just before chapel every day. And in those days at New Orleans Seminary, chapel occurred on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And so as the semester began, and we were listening to Dr. Bryson conclude his first lecture on the first day, a hand went up by one of the young preacher boys in the class, and he said, Dr. Bryson, who's in chapel today? Meaning, who's our guest preacher for the morning? Dr. Bryson answered the question. The next day, another hand went up in the class toward the end of his lecture. Dr. Bryson, who's in chapel today? Dr. Bryson answered. Well, that went on for about three weeks. You see, what was happening, ladies and gentlemen, is that we young preacher boys were determining our chapel attendance based on who the guest preacher was going to be. If he was a renowned, famous pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention, we were all in chapel with a notepad and a pencil, taking all the notes we possibly could so that we would have an outline to preach on Sunday morning wherever we were preaching that week. But if his response was some unknown Southern Baptist bureaucrat, maybe someone who worked at the Sunday school board in those days, our publishing arm, or even someone who worked for a state convention that none of us had ever heard of. We would take the chapel hour and we would study our Greek flashcards and our Hebrew flashcards and get ready for our Old Testament quiz later in the day. Dr. Bryson had been teaching for decades. He knew exactly what was happening. So about week number four, some poor old preacher boy stuck his hand up again toward the end of the lecture and said, Dr. Bryson, who's in chapel today? He closed his lecture notes, and he looked at that class full of young preachers, and he said, gentlemen, God is in chapel today. He turned and walked out of the classroom. We all received the message loud and clear. When God's people join together for worship, it doesn't matter what we sing. It doesn't matter who's proclaiming the word. When God's people gather for worship, God is present. And that should be enough. Amen? So we come to Psalm 95 this morning, and we see a call to worship. As a matter of fact, we look at worship today and, and we see three things that the psalmist wants to teach us. First, there's this call to worship. Secondly, he points out to us in Psalm 95 the object of our worship. And then finally, he concludes by helping us see the heart of worship. So this morning, I'm thankful that though it may be chilly in temperature, our Father is present. He is here with us today God is in chapel. Let's turn our attention to this text and let's see a call to worship. Verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Look at verse 1. 
Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Ladies and gentlemen, you look at Psalm 95, and, and you have to understand this is a call to worship, and it is a call to corporate worship. You see, there are two types of worship that should be primary in your life. There's individual worship. That is the worship that takes place each day as you have your devotional time with the Lord. When, when you personally, alone with God, are reading His Word and praying unto Him, that is individual worship. It should happen as a steady diet in your life, in my life. It should happen on a daily basis in our lives. But the kind of worship we're examining in Psalm 95 is corporate worship. As a matter of fact, if you look at verses 6 and 7 and 1 and 2 that we read a moment ago, you find no less in the Hebrew language than nine plural pronouns. You count them in the English text, and there, I believe, are ten. Verse 6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Verse 1, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. There is a clear call in this psalm for what we are doing in this hour. Corporate worship. God's people coming together as a family of faith to worship Him. It's what happens every Sunday morning in this space. It's what happens again on Wednesday evenings in this space. The bride of Christ, the body known as the church, comes together to engage in corporate worship unto the Lord. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand this morning as well is that this call to corporate worship that we see in Psalm 95 also is found in the New Testament as well. Look with me, Hebrews, on the screen for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to loving good deeds. Here's the phrase, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see this call to corporate worship. Now here's the tragedy, ladies and gentlemen in the day in which we live. Those who study the attendance patterns of the average church member in America have discovered that today, 2019, the average church member attends church 1.6 times per month. Now let that seek in for a moment. We see in the Old Testament a call to corporate worship. We see in the New Testament a call, a command for corporate worship. Yet today, the average church member in, in our culture attends worship 1.6 times per month. May I ask you a question this morning? 
If you took your medicine 1.6 times per month, would you be physically healthy? For, for those of us who are supposed to take a cholesterol pill or a baby aspirin or a blood pressure pill, whatever your prescriptions may be, if you only took them 1.6 times per month, would you be physically healthy? What if you only told your spouse 1.6 times per month, Honey, I love you. You never said it any other time. Only less than two times a month you said, Honey, I love you. Would you be relationally healthy? What if you only ate 1.6 times per month? You see the point I'm making, don't you? If less than two times per month is, is not healthy for us physically, if it's not healthy for us relationally, why do we think it's healthy for us spiritually? We see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, a call to corporate worship. The second thing I want us to see from this text, and, and perhaps if we can see this next point in the text, we will understand why 1.6 times per month is woefully inadequate for corporate worship. The second thing I want us to see is the object of our worship. When we gather in this place, what is the object of our worship? Better yet, grammatically speaking, who is the object of our worship? Come back and look with me, if you will beginning with verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. The word Lord that's used there is the Hebrew word Jehovah. It is that unique name for the God of the Hebrews. It is the unique name for the God of the children of Israel. And so in this call to corporate worship, we discover at the very beginning of the psalm that the object of our worship is the God of the Hebrew children. But then the text begins to let us see God from various facets, if you will, various angles of his character, of his personality. Look back, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. The psalmist says this Jehovah that we come to worship, he is the rock of our salvation. When the psalmist speaks of God as the rock of our salvation, ladies and gentlemen, he's pointing out to us the mercy and the grace of God. Think with me for just a moment. If God is the rock of your salvation, think of all of his mercy and all of his grace that has come pouring into your heart and life for him to be the rock of your salvation. It is his mercy and grace that has forgiven your sins. It is his mercy and grace that has overlooked your transgressions. It is his mercy and grace that has given you both abundant life on this earth and eternal life in glory. He is the rock of our salvation. And ladies and gentlemen, I contend to you that if we truly understand that Yahweh is the rock of our salvation, coming to corporate worship is a privilege that is most cherished. He's the rock of our salvation. It points out his mercy and his grace. Come with me, verse 3. Let's see another aspect of this Jehovah that we worship. For the Lord is a great God and a great King... Above all gods. 
This one we come to worship this morning in this place, he's not only the rock of our salvation, he is the king. He is the king of all gods. You need to remember the psalmist is writing in a culture that, is, that has a plethora of gods that are worshipped. Sun gods and moon gods and rain gods around the agricultural society of the Old Testament. But the psalmist clearly says that Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord of the children of Israel, is the king above all gods. This helps us to see God's authority. He is the one who has the right to command. He has the one who has the right to rule. He is the king. Thirdly, I want you to see from this text, he's also the creator. Look with me, verse 4. In whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. It was he who made the sea, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you, you read those verses and you just see that that Jehovah is the creator. And when we're reminded he's the creator, it speaks of his power. It takes us back to the book of Genesis where he speaks and the seas are formed and he speaks and the dry land is formed and he speaks and the birds begin to fly and the fish begin to swim and he speaks and mammals begin to walk on the earth. It speaks of God's power. So when we come to worship on Sunday morning, we are worshiping a Lord who has mercy and grace that flows into our lives. He has the authority of a king, and he has the power of a creator. But I also want you to see verse 7. Look how God is referred to in verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He's the shepherd. When we come to worship, we come to worship the shepherd. And the fact that he's a shepherd, it reminds us of his provision. That's what shepherds do for sheep. The shepherd provides the water that they need to drink. The shepherd moves them from pasture to pasture to provide the food that they need to eat. The shepherd is the one who protects them from their enemy. He's a provider. And that's who God is in our life, ultimately. He's a king, yes. He's the creator, yes. But he's also our shepherd who lovingly provides for us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's the point that I do not want you to miss in this text. Do you notice from Psalm 95 that worship is never about the worshiper, but worship is always about the one we worship? I do not want you to miss this in this text. It speaks loudly to us in the year 2019. When God's people come to worship, we come to worship the king, the creator, the shepherd. Worship is all about him. It's never about us. And we get that confused in this day and age. In this day and age, we think worship is about music style. 
And so whether we're pleased or focused in worship, we are pleased or focused depending upon the style of the worship songs that we sing. If we sing those that we're familiar with, that's good worship. If we sing those that I'm unfamiliar with, that is problematic worship. If that is our attitude, we, we have failed to understand that the object of our worship, this service is literally not about us. It's about him. We've come to worship Him. And so sometimes we judge worship depending on the message or the style of preaching. Well, I like that preacher. He kept my attention. That was good worship. You know, I couldn't follow anything he was saying. I'm not sure what he was trying to teach. That is poor worship. Only if we think worship is about us. If we understand that worship is ultimately about Jehovah. It does not matter if we are kept in rapt attention by the minister or he cannot keep his train of thought and communicate clearly. If we understand that when we gather in this room, our thought and our worship is focused on him. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can ever understand that fact. Worship is not about is the room cold or hot are comfortable. Worship is about the Father in heaven. But there's one other thing I want you to see about this object of our worship. Not only is it strictly about the Father and not about us, I want you to see one last thing. The psalmist tells us this Jehovah, this Lord of the children of the Hebrews, this King, this Creator, this Shepherd, He is ours. Come back and look with me, if you will, verse 7. For he is, what's the word there, church? Our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The psalmist is telling us, ladies and gentlemen, that worship is all about relationship. When he, when he writes that he is our God, he's not speaking of ownership. Sometimes we use our, that pronoun, to speak of ownership. That's our house. That's our car. We own that house. We own that car. Well, certainly no one owns God. He's not talking about ownership. He's talking about relationship. This king, this creator, this shepherd, this one who pours mercy and grace into our lives, this one who has power to solve any problem that we face in life, this one who has the authority to command and expect us to obey, this one who meets all of our needs with his providing hand, he is our God. Relationship. Let, let me see if I can illustrate that concept. If you look with me on the screen, you, you see my family. This was just a couple of weekends ago when you allowed us to have the privilege of being off toward uh, a vacation. You, we found a cold creek there in the mountains of North Carolina, and the grandchildren said, uh, Papa, let's take our shoes off and put our feet in the water. Well, let me introduce you to the people in that picture. You see that beautiful lady just behind me holding that baby? That's my wife. My wife. No one else in the world can claim that. I share a relationship with her that no one else shares. She is my wife. 
You see that young man with the beard off over my right shoulder? That's my son. My boy. Chip. Proud of him. There's only one other person in the entire world that can make that claim. That that's her son. You see those beautiful grandbabies, old Charlie over there by his dad and Mary Margaret, that beautiful little redhead holding my hand, and, and then Audrey and Charlene. Those are my grandchildren. Mine. Only three other people in the world can make that claim. You, you notice the relational aspect of, of that vocabulary, if you will. My wife, my son, my grandchildren. It's the same concept in Psalm 95. When we gather for worship, we're not simply worshiping an abstract God who's off in the heavens and distant from us. We are worshiping the creator that we are personally related to. And through faith in Jesus Christ, every person on the globe has the opportunity to have that same relationship. But only through faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are here this morning, we've surrendered our life to Jesus. We can say, we can worship our God, the object of our worship. There's one last thing I want you to see in this text this morning, and that is the heart of worship. Come back with me to verse 1, the heart of worship. The first thing I want you to see is that when we gather for worship, this God who is the creator, this God who is a king, this God who is a shepherd, when we gather for worship, we should gather with a heart of celebration. Please do not miss this important point of the text. Verse 1, come let us sing for joy. You see the word sing? It literally comes from a word in the Hebrew that means shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. We hear the word sing in the English language and, and we think of a song and, and words, lyrics that come together and, and produce beautiful music. This, this word really means shouts of joy. Now here's what I want you to hear. As we walk through this passage, listen to the attitude of celebration in this worship service. Oh, come let us sing for joy, shouts of joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully. There it is, twice in two verses of Scripture. Shout joyfully in the English. That word simply means an ear-splitting sound. He speaks of shouts of joy, and then the psalmist uses a phrase twice that speaks of ear-splitting sound. Now, here's why that's so important to me. Because I grew up in a culture, in a time where I was taught when you enter God's house, you're to be quiet and solemn, and you're to sit on your pew and not move, and to be quiet until the service is over. And when the service is over, you leave quietly, reverence in God's house. But we come to Psalm 95, and the psalmist calls us to worship. He calls us to worship the creator, the king, the shepherd, our God. And when he calls us to worship, he calls us to worship with a heart of celebration. 
It is a celebration that has volume. It is a celebration that is animated. It is a celebration that has passion. He calls us to shout joyfully before the Lord and to use ear-splitting sounds. If I had a dollar for every time in my 35 years of pastoral ministry, I heard someone say, that music's too loud. I could have retired 25 years ago. But here the psalmist doesn't know anything of the concept that anything is too loud because he sees it as a celebrative expression to God of thanksgiving. Look what else he says. Come come back to the text. Verse 1, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving there, when you and I hear thanksgiving, we think about the next holiday where we get two days off of work. The word thanksgiving used in this text speaks of singing. It speaks of what the choir did a moment ago in our service, using their voice to praise the Lord. It speaks of what the praise team has been doing all morning long, using their voice. It speaks of what you were doing as you gathered into congregational singing, expressing celebrative with your voice unto the Lord. And then he uses another word I want to show you. Look with me, if you will. Verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. The word psalms that's used there doesn't speak of Psalm 100 or Psalm 23. It's a word that speaks of musical instrumentation. Now you're beginning to see this worship experience. We come before the Lord with a heart of celebration and we use our voices to sing unto him with loudness and exuberance and joy and gladness. And we use instrumentation to praise the Lord. And we take all of these musical instruments in our voice and it offers a crescendo of praise unto the creator, the king, the shepherd, our God. Why in the world would anyone ever want to miss that celebration? On a Sunday morning. If we can understand what the psalmist is saying about worship, 1.6 becomes 4.0 every month. One last thing I want you to see. I want you to see that we must also reach the point where our worship has an element of submission. Not, not just a heart of celebration, but a heart of of submission. Come back with me, verses 6 and 7. Come, let us worship. The word worship that's used there, I want you to watch me. The word worship that's used there is a word that means to prostrate yourself. It, it means that you are so humble before the Lord, that, that you cannot stand, you cannot sit, you are so humble before the Lord that you literally are flat on your face before the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a posture of total submission unto the Lord. This is not a posture of arrogance. 
This is not a posture of self-sufficiency. This is a posture that says, in the presence of holiness, I must be on my face. Humble and submitted unto him. Submission. Then a second word is used that I want you to see. Come let us worship to prostrate yourself and bow down. The word bow down literally means to bend the knee in the language of the Old Testament. And so one posture of worship, if you will, is to be prostrate before the Lord, to, to lay flat out on your face before the Lord. The second posture this pointed out in this psalm is to be on bended knee. Both phrases dripping with humility and submission. Here's the point I want you to see. If our worship only reaches celebration and it never makes its way to submission, we have not worshipped. I want to say it again. If our worship only goes as far as celebration, we sing and we raise hands and we enjoy the glorious presence of the Lord and we use ear-splitting sound to magnify His name if our worship stops at celebration. But it never makes its way to submission. Lord, I heard your voice. I saw your teaching in your word. I understand the command that flows from Scripture. I submit my life to you in obedience. If your worship never makes it to submission, you have not worshipped. The psalmist calls us to worship to worship the creator, to worship the king, to worship the shepherd. The psalmist calls us to worship with as much celebration as we can muster in, in praise unto the Lord. But ultimately, the psalmist calls us to submission before the holy God, our God, our king, our shepherd. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. If you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. That is the first step of submission. Submitting your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Asking Jesus to forgive you of the sin for which he died on Calvary's cross. Asking Jesus who arose from the grave to come into your life and mold and shape you into the person he wants you to be. That's submission. That's where worship begins in submitting your life to Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never submitted your life to Jesus. I would love the privilege of sharing with you the gospel this morning and leading you in prayer as you commit your life to Christ. If you're here this morning, your church membership is somewhere else, but God is leading you to be a part of this church family. Even during this interim season, I invite you to come and just say, Chuck, my family and I, we want to be a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We will welcome you with open arms. Maybe you're here this morning and 
as we stand and sing in a moment, you just need to bow your head. And you just need to confess, Lord, I've made worship about a lot of stuff. It's not found in Scripture. I've made worship about my personal taste and my personal preference. Not about the Creator, the King, the Shepherd. I've stopped in my worship at celebration. I have not made my way to submission, but Lord, I'm submitting my life to you today. Every area of my life. Maybe that's the commitment you need to make this morning. In personal, individual prayer. In the midst of this corporate service of worship. Father, I pray that you would speak to your people and your people would respond to the leadership of your spirit. Speak clearly to our hearts. Help us to be submissive to your voice. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.